0: This is Cass Club Radio.
1: Brought to you by Heritage Distilling.
0: On Cass Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends.
1: Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life.
0: It's Cass Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel.
2: Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us on this holiday weekend. My name is Lydia Cruz.
0: And I'm Justin Stiefel.
2: I'm Maura Dooley. How is everybody's Labor Day going so far? It's sort of the unofficial, official end of summer. Things wrap up. School's about to start. The one benefit is that football's about to start. I mean, we here on on the sports side, Maura and myself, get really excited about it. So that's exciting. But the end of summer, not so much. I wish you would stop bringing that up, Lydia. <laughs> my,
0: my kids are upset because school started Wednesday. Oh, wow. Ago, so they're, they're already back, back
2: in. Ah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it is that time of year. And we'll be talking in the show a little bit about entertaining over Labor, Labor Day weekend because it is a popular barbecue Slash party slash just entertainment weekend. So we'll discuss that here coming up in a little bit. But just more on a local front, this is also a good opportunity to visit one of Heritage Distilling's tasting rooms. They are all over the place for you, if you're especially if you're you know walking around, hanging out with family and friends. It's going to be pretty nice this weekend, I think. So wander right into one of those, just one of Heritage's tasting rooms.
0: That's right. We have one in Ballard, one on Capitol Hill. If you want to venture to Eastern Washington over in Roslyn area, right next to Suncadia Resort? We've got a couple locations in uh, down in Gig Harbor if you're going to travel by boat and then, or you know, drive across the bridge. Yeah, and uh, of course, Eugene, Oregon. And you know, what I'm not most excited about, but what I'm looking forward to seeing the reactions on social media starting around Tuesday. Is the return of the pumpkin spice latte craze, which of course starts <laughs> the first part of September.
2: You're right. You know, I should have shouldn't have said that. Labor Day weekends, the start of fall, pumpkin spice latte day is the start of fall. Very true. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that they're doing too many things now. Too many pumpkin. A little spice bit things. of pumpkin spice is okay. I mean, right? did they think they they? I don't think that Starbucks knew at the time of that creation that what kind of firestorm and trend they would start. The monster they created. Exactly. But now it's pretty impressive. It's just absolutely everywhere. So I'm sure you're right, Justin. We'll be seeing it. We
0: talked about that last year on the show. Uh, There were 16,000 products introduced in the market with some kind of pumpkin spice (laughs) uh, derivative in the grocery last year. So we'll see what happens this year.
3: We went through them, and some of them sounded pretty gross.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we even Pudding. learned that, what is it, this year, uh, Bush is having a 17% ABV pumpkin spice latte hard seltzer.
3: That turned out to be a gag gift. Oh, a okay. Gag okay they, yeah. yeah. But they, a lot of people were interested in it before they wow. announced that it was a practical joke. Crazy. Yeah.
2: In the meantime, what's in the actual real headlines this week?
0: Well, you know, people are using Uber for all sorts of things, and it turns out (laughs) that uh, a group of drinkers in Utah found an abandoned fledgling chick, and so they called Uber to send it to a rescue center. Turns out this is near the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Northern Utah, and they found a young goldfinch, less than two weeks old, and they asked if they could bring it in this is over the phone, turned out they'd been drinking so they wanted to get the bird to the recovery center so they called Uber, the first Uber didn't play ball with them but the second Uber did and um, got the chick placed there at the wildlife center and Uh, It's currently being raised, and it was named uh, Petey Uber, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. appropriately so. And then in a bizarre coincidence, since his arrival, two other birds have been delivered to the center by Uber. So (laughs) something's going on in the bird world with Uber.
2: I mean, maybe that's an untapped market, you know, kind of like pet Uber or rescue, like a wildlife rescue Uber. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love the story all around because it's kind of responsibility and civic-mindedness all around. These people... uh, did a good deed, but also knew that they had been drinking. And so they did the smart thing and called Uber. All, all good round, like a happy story to talk about. I agree.
0: And uh, going from... Birds to cats. <clears throat> the, uh, there's a cat cafe called Catlantis. It's opening in London. You remember we talked a few weeks ago about the San Francisco bar with the rat themes that had rats yeah. and mice running around yeah. it? Well, here in London, they've got Catlantis. It's set to open up. It should be opening up this weekend. This is for Londoners who aren't able to keep pets, but they want to still be around them. They say that they're going to have up to 15 rescue cats fostered from local shelters. A portion of the revenue generated at the bar and cafe will be donated to a cat's protection fund, uh, which is used to support rescue cats with food and, and vet treatment. See, one of the reasons uh, owning pets makes us all happier, but not everybody can afford to own a pet due to not being home uh, enough hours or budget constraints. And so uh, they're going to uh, have this cat-friendly environment for people to walk into. Personally, I'm not a cat person. Right preferred dogs over cats if I had to choose. So I'm, I'm not sure that I will be going to visit Lady <laughs> Dinah's cat importing <laughs> emporium.
3: him. I'm allergic so I'd be having a
2: reaction. Yeah, but, that would be uh, hard for you. But I'm glad there's a place for everyone. There's yes. bars and pubs now where you can bring your dogs and get to see all the, the furry friends out there. So hey, you know, for the cat owners of the world, at least there's a a spot for them too. There's even (laughs) one in Seattle. I walked by on Capitol Hill the other day. Oh, really? And yeah, I saw that there was exactly one of these and I was like, wow, yep, they're right here in Seattle too. So there's a a place for everyone. (laughs) I love it.
0: That's right. And uh, finally, a California winery is suing a distributor in New York for rejecting what they've uh, the distributor said were smoke-tainted wines. Remember the fires in 2017 we talked about in California? Uh, the industry has been worried about smoke taint in the wines coming from the grapes. So this particular distributor called SMT Acquisitions in New York rejected about $400,000 worth of wine they were contracted to buy. problem is, is that according to the winemaker, these grapes were out of the fields and already in production and in the vats before the fire has even started. So they have said that they are uh, wrongfully labeling them as smoke tainted wines, and and to protect their business and their brand, they are now suing this distributor. So never a good thing when you have to sue the person responsible for buying and and reselling your product for you into the marketplace. That's not a good thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely not.
3: Sad. We know that those fires were so devastating for Mm -hmm. so many people, and it just, you
2: know, the fact
0: that it's still
3: being dealt with this long after.
0: So it'll still be years to come
2: coming up on cast club radio this is labor day weekend holiday weekend last hurrah before the end of summer and entertaining is on a lot of people's minds so we've got a couple of great articles that talk about the best way to pair wines you know you want to get that last great glass of wine in definitely before the summer so great articles on how to pair your wines it's coming up on cast club radio of course, celebrating Labor Day weekend, all the hardworking folks out there. Maybe you want to relax this weekend by hosting a party, enjoying yourself, having a nice glass of wine. And in the interest of that, we found a couple of great articles for you on how to pair your wine with great food.
0: That's right. He's come to us from Forbes.com. One of them is, is called, it says, how to pair challenging late summer vegetables with wine. It, it starts to talk about uh, all the fresh vegetables that are out there at the local markets, farmers' markets and uh, local higher-end retail shops. Fresh asparagus, crunchy artichokes, corn on the cob is now popping up all over the place, and it can be hard to pair with wine. So here are some folks from the Fairmont Sonoma Mission Inn to sort out some ideas for us. First is uh, Lisa Zimmerman. She asks what kind of paired wine options are best with summer vegetables, and uh, the response here is it depends on the specific." Vegetable and the preparation usually look for roses from southern France, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, and Pinot Grigio from Italy. Those have particular fruit notes and a particular styles of uh, body and texture to Blend well with specific vegetables, especially those that are uh, being lightly prepared and not uh, not overly cooked.
2: So let me let me before we go farther. Are you guys yeah. big on pairings? Or is this very important to you? I know we we drink different things. We love the mm-hmm. spectrum, but I know each of us can appreciate a good glass of wine. Are you really big on on pairing?
0: I am. I'm big on pairing uh, a bottle of wine with a big glass and uh, making sure that I had a big <laughs> enough glass to hold the wine in it. Fair, fair enough. was riveted. I yeah, was waiting. I was like, oh, <laughs> fair enough. No, fair actually, enough. seriously, uh, um, uh, it actually gets more to the second story here, and that is I am a big red fan. Uh, there are some select whites that I will enjoy from time to time. I've really, since going to Italy this summer and spending some time in the Chianti region, I've really gotten into some of the subtle differences between some of the Chianti varietals that are out there and, and yeah. some of the pretty Producers that are making them. And it is fascinating to see how um, people have gravitated towards a particular pair, pairing option and they're not really opening up their minds broadly to really look at all the options that are out there. One of the best experiences we had was at a winery in Napa Valley where they had a small little f- uh, food uh, preparation. And this really gets into the second article now, and that is uh, also from Forbes.com, and it is entitled. Want your wine to taste better, add salt, pepper, and fat. So, interesting. This wine preparation we went to, they had a small piece of tenderloin steak, they had chocolate unsalted, and they had a cracker unsalted. And then they had the same thing steak with salt, chocolate with um, salt on the chocolate, and then a cracker that had been salted. And the same wine reacts in your mouth differently, whether you have the salt or the non-salted. You can have both of the items, the unsalted meat and the salted meat, side by side, and same with the chocolate and so on. The salt really gets your salivary glands working and uh, producing saliva, and it opens up uh, the ability for your palate to begin to taste these things in a different way. that actually be a very easy thing to do at your uh, Labor Day barbecue coming up Mm -hmm. Sunday or, or Monday, is to line out some of these things. You're at the barbecue, you're preparing, maybe throw some meat on that has no salt, no pepper, no oil, no preparation at all, and then however you're gonna prepare it, and slice them up thin side by side, and you and your friends pour one glass of wine, whatever the varietal is, and taste that wine, and see how it tastes differently with the salted and unsalted offering of food next to it.
2: Absolutely. And then Labor Day really lends itself to these flavor palettes because usually you are cooking a lot of meat. It might be outdoors, might be on a grill, but it makes it easy to add these things. Also with the vegetables, as we referenced in the first one, those are, I mean, I would say that those are the two main things that you're cooking on Labor Day Mm -hmm. weekends, whether it's corn or you're making kebabs out there at family parties. But yeah, pretty easy. And then as a guest, I know that a lot of people are coming over to your houses, often bringing bottles of wine. So it's a good opportunity to open those and share them with your friends and to put these into practice.
0: That's right. There's a couple of specific examples here. So asparagus and artichokes, depending on how you prepare them, if you have like a Holland's Day sauce on the side, that will go well with a Sauvignon Blanc, according to the article. Now, if you have uh, mushrooms, those mushrooms might fare better with uh, a Chardonnay. So if maybe you're putting some of those items on the barbecue this weekend. Um, if you want something uh, like uh, a Cabernet Franc, uh, a red wine, those uh, it's considered a vegetal wine, so it's got kind of vegetable, earthy undertones to it, less berry and more of the earthy notes. Um, those would be good for uh, a specific vegetable preparation, like roasted red peppers and raw green bell peppers, um, maybe with some kind of uh, light oil on them.
2: Now, Maura, you have some of the formal experience with serving, and I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but what is one thing that you did learn about pairing when you were, that may be relevant to what we're learning today as well? Yeah, I I was
3: just thinking that one of the things I learned, I worked at a Vietnamese restaurant for a little while. Oh, cool,
2: yeah. And one of
3: the things I learned was that people sometimes have preconceived notions about certain wines, but that like Justin said, that wine can actually change a little bit in taste when you pair it with something. So we would recommend a lot of the dishes that were served there, um, especially because some of them had a little bit of heat and it interacted well with uh, Riesling. And there's so many people that are like, I don't like Riesling. It's too sweet. Too sweet. But when you would get them to try it with the food, they would actually be surprised at how they enjoyed it.
2: Because sweet and spicy generally go well together in other forms. I know just in food forms, uh, my family's Hispanic and that's often a A combination that Mm -hmm. we utilize, whether it's putting chili pepper on watermelon or mango or those things just seem to work well together. So I like that. Heat with a little sweet. Yeah. Heat with sweet.
0: (laughs) One of the things if you go into an Asian restaurant and you have the very intense pepper that is very, very spicy, one of the things to neutralize that is the pineapple juice. Just regular straight pineapple juice uh, because of the acidity and the sweetness. So the same thing would apply to a very dry Or a sweet white or rosé wine.
2: Awesome.
0: One of the things I expect people will be doing this weekend will be barbecuing a lot of corn. Yes. Uh, We also expect the people as my
2: mom calls it from the Midwest. So, corn.
0: Grilled corn on the cob with some butter and tarragon goes very well with a rosé, especially you know the rosés that have some of those watermelon strawberry notes. Um, squash blossoms, those have become a big thing this year. People Love serving mm-hmm. uh, s- uh, food really with, with uh, the squash blossoms. Uh, stuff those with the cheese, and then uh, that goes very well with the Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, the crisper, the better. Garden potatoes, you might make those into the fries, toss them with truffle oil and Parmesan cheese, and then wash that down with a brute champagne. Now, this one, uh, you know, I don't really expect people at 4 p.m. to be popping corks of brute champagne when it's 80 degrees out. It's more of kind of a, a morning thing. Um, but you could have a brunch where in the morning you use potatoes to make uh, homestyle potatoes and use the same truffle oil and Parmesan cheese on those.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like, too, maybe this is one of those situations, speaking, if you're not hosting, if you are a guest, you could find out what your friend is planning on making. Or if they don't want any food contributions, you could think of one of these wines to then bring to the party as and suggest as a pairing option, which I think would be cool.
0: That's right. This is my favorite line from the article. Are there any general guidelines you can give a guest for summertime vegetable pairings with wine? And the answer was, stick to light, fresh, fun wines. The golden rule is rosé goes with everything there you hey, go I love
2: that we've talked about rosé so much in 2019 so hey if it's not broke don't fix it rosé yep. is always always a good gift
3: coming up next we just gave you our amateur thoughts on pairing wine but we're going to talk to an expert Richard Kinsey's of Seattle Wine Outlet joins us to talk about the wonderful classes that he offers there that's next on Cast Club Radio <music> Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I am joined right now by Richard Kinsey, owner of Seattle Wine Outlet, and as we were talking about in the last segment some wine pairing, I thought he would be a perfect person to talk to. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
3: Of course. Yeah, I was I was looking a little bit into your background and I saw that you have an extensive background in both journalism and wine education. Were those passions that you discovered separately, or did you always kind of know when you got into journalism that you wanted to explore and write about wine?
1: well, it was actually the opposite i was I was in wine and in in those days when i was uh, I was a psalm and there weren't many around, so yeah. I got asked to write here or to comment there, and the next thing you know i'm I had picked up several local publications. There was Seattle Magazine, there was Argus, which is, was owned by Seattle Magazine actually, and it was uh, an arts publication. Then there were several other small ones, and I wanted to write, and so one led to the other, and then I was, I went to work for the PI, the Seattle Post Intelligencer for those who may not know it. <laughs> been gone a while. <laughs> yeah, but, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I was at the PI from, well, I started there in 82 until they closed. So that was like 27 years. But then it, Seattle's a major market and that's, that was a major publication and a major market. So then you get picked up by, you know, all the national and regional publications. So I wrote for pretty much everybody over time. Yeah, and I started the Seattle Wine School in 1982, and it was originally put together for the trade. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, and I opened it up to consumers because there was some demand. But when I started in the wine industry, there (laughs) there, there wasn't much of a source for information. And I remember when I got my first job in the wine industry, some friends of mine opened a wine store and they asked me to run it. And I remember over lunch, I, <laughs> I said, I'm flattered, you guys, but you know me. I, I, I like wine, but I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and I remember the guy says, don't worry about it. Nobody does. <laughs> but he was, he was wrong. I, I had customers that would come in the store and they would know more than me, and, and and it just I didn't think that was right. So I started buying books, I've amassed quite a collection, thousands and thousands of books over the years, and read read some of them. And so I started doing classes for people I knew in the industry that uh, wanted to learn more. And then I put together a wine. Certification program for the Washington wine industry. They were at that time. They were a little embarrassed at the at the wine knowledge of the hospitality industry here. Oh, and no. uh Yeah, it, you know, people would ask, "Well, where does this wine come from?" Well, it's from Woodenville, and they'd say, eh, "Were the grapes grown there?" Oh yes, of course. <laughs> so. And, and for those listeners who, who may be new to town, Woodenville is a great place, lots of wineries, but no grapevines. And so anyway, I did that for a few years, too. And I also uh, owned a restaurant, worked as a psalm for about a decade, wrote a couple books, made wine. My goodness, in, um, busy.
3: <laughs> so now you have... Ahead. You have Seattle Wine Outlet, and you you continue to do the Seattle Wine classes there. Uh, something you mentioned when you were saying that you yes. you told your friends you didn't really know anything about wine. I think that's something that a lot of people feel, and it seems almost kind of exclusive and intimidating. I think to some people, is as part of what you're doing with this Seattle wine, wine classes, trying to make it more approachable.
1: Well, w- what I'm trying to do is is teach people about wine. Wine is something that is not. It's not like. A black belt in karate or something, <laughs> you know, where you have to be in, you know, you dedicate your whole life to it and there's a zen about it. You know, there are certain skills you need and, and they can be taught. They can be taught to anyone. And it's, that's what I try to do in my classes. I say, okay, here's, for example, France. Well, if you want to understand France, here's what you need to know. You need to know the geography of France. You need to know how it's broken up. You need to know the simple wine laws of, you know, how to read a label, table wine, country wine, Appalachian wine, and what that means. And uh, <clears throat> also, it's important to understand that you don't, you don't need to know more than, I just like a wine, I don't like a wine. That's just fine. You don't have to be, you know, a, a master psalm to enjoy wine. You can enjoy it viscerally. And you can also enjoy it intellectually. And by enjoying it intellectually is that second tier. That's when you enter the realm. <laughs> <laughs> and you should learn you should learn how to taste and then how grapes are grown and then how wine is made. And then you apply that information to any wine region anywhere. That, those are the tools in your toolkit. And so that's that's what I teach people. But I always reiterate, you know, if this <laughs> just becomes too much and you'd rather uh, spend time with your family <laughs> or something <laughs> then then that's fine too you know but there is that attraction that wine has other product has and that is that connection between the producer the place and the consumer there's no other product tell me if you know one where someone comes in from vacation and they say oh yeah i just spent 2 weeks in cheese country You know, nobody does that. Very true. People spend their, yeah, they spend their vacation time, they spend their money to travel to where wine is made and to meet the people who make it. There's nothing like that.
3: Not only does the outcome, you know, taste delicious and is enjoyable, but the vineyards themselves are beautiful. And I know Washington has such a great selection just here. You know, if, you, if you're not able to travel to France, which would be lovely, and, and check out those vineyards, where would you recommend people maybe trying to venture out in Washington?
1: Well, first of all, you don't have to go far. If you live in the city, there's probably a winery within a couple of miles of your of wherever you are. Just look up urban wineries. There's one down the street from my store, uh, Ward Johnson, They're nice people, they make nice wines, they're open for tasting, there are wineries in Ballard, they're everywhere. After that, just figure out where you'd like to go, how long it'll take to get there. And remember, we're right in the middle between Eastern Washington, which is where all the grapes are grown, most of the grapes are grown uh, for Washington wines, and the Willamette Valley in Northern Oregon and both are fantastic wine regions, world-famous, and you can take the freeway south or you can take the freeway east and and just map out a place. There are books on, on touring. You can also contact the Washington, I don't know, they keep changing their name, <laughs> but the Washington Wine Commission, they will, they have magazines on how to tour. Uh, I've got them in my store, they're free. Lots of opportunities, lots of opportunities.
3: Well, I think your, your passion really shows through, and I think anyone would be lucky to come and learn more about wine at one of the, the classes that you offer at Seattle Wine Outlet. Where are you located, and where can people find out more information?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, I used to have three stores. I started my first store in 2004 in Soto, okay. and then two years later, I opened my current store, and then that was in 07, and then in 09, I opened one by Green Lake. Well, time goes on. I I don't have the other two stores, but I own this building, so I'm here. And that's uh, at 946 Elliott Avenue West. It's just south of Magnolia Bridge. Okay. Between the Magnolia Bridge and Denny.
3: Yeah.
1: Right in there. Where those big silos are, they block some of my view.
3: Oh, no. (laughs) That's not good. And where can people go online to find more information?
1: Yeah, it's SeattleWineOutlet.com. I think that'll get you right That'll get you right in there. We have a good website. But my, my store is unique. I think I mentioned I owned a restaurant and owned a wine bar, and I was buying for this very large grocery chain, and they wanted to get into the fine wine business, and they hired me. So sometimes the salespeople would come in, and they would uh, pitch me on a particular wine or wines, and then when that was all done, they'd put a bottle on the table. I remember this first one. And the guy says, OK, now this one, the SOBs went down the street to another distributor and I'm stuck with 23 cases and eight bottles. <laughs> now, you have to understand that that wine is poison to that distributor because they don't want to pay their sales staff to go out and sell it. Once it's gone, the um, or if they get any placements on wine lists or on shelves, they're doing that for their competition. So they just want to be done with it. So I said, well, what do you want for it? He said, make me an offer. And so I was joking, I swear. It was so low. And this was a wine <clears throat> similar to, oh, it'd be like, like St. Michelle's Horse Heaven Hills Marillot or Cap, you know, nice wine, uh, mid-range. Mm-hmm. And, and so I made him some wacky low offer. And he says, will you take it all? And <laughs> I said, Yeah, and any more you can come up with. And this kept coming up. And I always thought, why doesn't somebody actually use this as their business model? And so that's what I did with the wine outlet. And so all of my wines are 20... 25%, 25%, sometimes 50% or more below market value here in this market in Western Washington. And But when the wine is gone, it's gone. I have to bring in something else. I can't reorder it. I can't go back to the well. But it means that none of the big box stores can match my pricing.
3: That's fantastic. I love and that.
1: It is. It really is. So we have sort of a niche, a niche there. And it's really worked. And then, of course, we have wine classes uh, every mo- virtually every Monday. If-
3: yeah, I was looking at the classes online. They, they offer such a, a broad selection and look like there's a little something for everyone. I wish we could talk even more, but we've run out of time. So everybody, go check out Seattle Wine Outlet. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
3: Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, we have some Labor Day facts for you this holiday weekend. And, of course, we leave you with a cocktail recipe as well. That's next on Cast Club Radio
2: welcome back to cast club radio in a couple minutes we've got a brand new cocktail recipe for you one for labor day weekend for entertaining but first since it is a holiday weekend i think Labor Day is one of those holidays that started as something obviously entirely different now. It seems to have a different significance for people. It used to actually have more of a a focus on the labor unions and celebrating the workers of America. Not saying that it still doesn't, but now (laughs) it kind of seems like in society it's just our our end of the summer celebration. A lot more about barbecues and uh, spending this time with family and friends before you go back to school, before... things get maybe a little more dreary in the in Seattle I don't no. know I'm sorry but I found some labor day facts for us to to recap just a little history of labor day so labor day actually in Canada began in 1872 in Toronto so we didn't have the initial labor day here oh. in the US but the first US labor day celebrated on September 5th 1882 and of course New York City, as many people probably would have guessed, planned by the Central Labor Union, and it was a parade. About twenty thousand workers, unpaid leave, uh, to march from City Hall past Union Square. Huge demonstration for to basically for the workers and to uh, raise awareness about the unions. Had a concert, speeches, and a picnic. And that, that is the official beginning of Labor Day.
0: People so, back then were working under very bad conditions. Yes. Uh, in fact, you had kids as young as five and six working full hour days in very dangerous mill and factory type operations. And people were not getting treated fairly by the owners. And I uh, was right at the kind of the golden age of the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. And people were viewed to be expendable. And uh, yeah, you're right. So they they began to form their own way to create what they call the working man's holiday.
2: So in the late 1800s, to your point, Justin, the average American worked 12 hour days and seven day weeks just to make ends meet. And yes, children as young as five and six in factories and in mines was also a big one, which, of course, we know the health effects of working in a mine. And yeah, pretty awful. So thankfully, uh, labor Unions happened. Oregon, yeah. the first state, actually, to make Labor Day an official holiday. Oh, Are you guys wow. surprised by that?
0: I am surprised that it was Oregon. I would have thought it would have been Pennsylvania or New York or one of those. East Coast
2: somewhere. Right?
0: East Coast, yeah.
2: Oregon, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, and Colorado were the, were the ones that really hmm. took this as once that first initial parade happened. Um, it's inspired other unions in those states. Grover Cleveland, a big part of helping make Labor Day a national holiday. And it was after violence related to the Pullman Railroad strike. President Cleveland and lawmakers in Washington wanted a federal holiday to celebrate labor and not a holiday celebrated on May 1st because of the Haymarket affair. But Cleveland signed an act in 1894 and that made it a federal holiday. Most states had already passed laws, though, individually, as we mentioned, Oregon, where they celebrated this. But that made it a U.S. holiday.
0: And we still celebrate it today. and It's it evolved a little of the, bit. It's evolved, but <laughs> yeah. it is one of the largest uh, alcohol consumption holidays of the year. Fourth of July being number one.
2: New Year's Christmas, Eve, I'm sure, up there as New Year's well.
0: Eve, New Year's Eve, Christmas, and then probably Memorial Day and Labor Day. Those are the, the top five that round out.
2: Well, you mentioned the alcohol and drink consumption. Also, Labor Day is the unofficial end of hot dog season. And I found this interesting fact. The National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, which it's amazing that that exists, says that between Memorial Day and Labor Day, Americans eat 7 billion hot dogs.
3: So does that kind of go along Mm. with baseball season?
2: I think sure. But I would also think that it's just general like grilling season. There's something about... Have you ever eaten... like? like, I don't think I eat hot dogs past September.
0: Well, yeah. yeah, Think about uh, if you've got young kids at home who are... Six, seven, kind of up to True. high school, and and they've got summer break. They're not in school, and they come in. And they say, "Hey, mom and dad, I'm hungry." They're old enough to cook their own hot dog. Go make your own hot dog. Yeah, I'm, like, making your lunch.
2: <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, it's something uh, easy that you can make and. But it is. That's amazing. Seven billion hot dogs. And how many hot dog eating contests probably happened in that span? Oh, as well? my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, every state fair, every county fair has got to have one, plus all the, the bigger ones you see now sponsored by Oscar Mayer and others.
2: Well, as you mentioned, it sort of evolved over the years. The year in which the eight hour workday was firmly established was 1916. That was the passage of the Adamson Act. And that was the first federal law regulating hours of workers in private companies. Obviously, Our view on Labor Day has sort of evolved since then because that's just the way things go. But how about you guys? What does Labor Day really mean to you? What do you do or is there any sort of tradition in your family?
0: Uh, Well, from a business perspective right now, it's the last big shopping holiday in our tasting rooms for, for the summer. Things get quiet September and October, but we spend that time planning for the holiday sets with all the retailers. From a family perspective, uh, you know, the summers here have been getting later, uh, it seems, and so you still have great weather, it's still an opportunity to go out and hang out and go for a hike or go out on the boat.
2: Maura?
3: I was gonna say, you know, as a kid, I think you, yeah, it means back to school. As an adult, I feel like I honestly have worked a lot on Labor Day, so I'm not sure that I have any traditions.
2: You're, you feel the same? Um, yeah, for most for most of my life, I think I've worked on holidays and, and particularly, <laughs> ironically, yes, Labor Day. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say, too, just the football thing. We get college football. We got it last yeah. weekend, but we get it really back this weekend. Dub playing today and Wazoo, and it just feels good in that regard to have football back and That's my memories really of like Labor Day is watching football with family and having one last one last barbecue. Sometimes just friends too. Mm -hmm. You don't have to if if you're just with your friends group, uh, go out and celebrate and have a good time. Speaking of which, we've got a great cocktail recipe for you if you are hosting a party this weekend.
0: We do. We have this we call the Peach Plum Punch. Peaches are fresh this season. Plums are just now getting ready to ripen up. This requires a half ounce of Lieber and Company pineapple gum syrup. That's, uh, you can get that at uh, any cocktail shop or Total Wine & More, one of those locations. A uh, half ounce of girl meets dirt, island plum shrub. You might find another plum shrub substitute. Uh, remember, shrub is a uh, kind of a, an additive that you put into a cocktail that's got a lot of vinegar, so it's got some very tart and acidic notes to it. A half ounce of lemon juice and two ounces of our heritage distilling peach vodka. You can get those in any of our tasting rooms. So get a shaker, add ice, put in the half ounce of the gum syrup a half ounce of the plum shrub a half ounce of the fresh squeezed lemon juice two ounces of your vodka shake it throw it on ice and garnish it with a lemon twist
2: sounds delicious really refreshing and a fun way to celebrate the end of the summer season we'll make sure it's available for you at heritagedistilling.com. you can check out past cocktail recipes as well you can also download episodes of the podcast
0: that's right. You can also email us at caskclubradio at com with comments, suggestions, ideas, questions. Uh, you can go and find us on Instagram and on Facebook. You can also start following us on Instagram at bsb Bourbon. Our new hashtag is hashtag DrinkingBSB. We're, we're getting some fabulous uh, images from around the country cool. of people enjoying BSB in different ways. And also, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It's
2: perfect. Everybody, please have a fun and safe Labor Day weekend, and we will see you back here next week.
0: Please don't drink and drive. Be safe this weekend. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us
1: out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes.
0: Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.